Hey, Velocity Church. It's great to be worshiping with you today. Hey, I just want to take a second. Beautiful fall weather this morning, uh, but I know many of you here and at home, you guys started the school year this past week. And I, I just, yeah, okay, there's a woo. So that, that's, I think that's a good thing. Uh, but I, I just felt like after some things that I saw that happened in different localities, let's just take a second for a collective deep breath. And let that out. Oh, that was that was good. That felt good. Hey, we uh, the past week we did a seven day prayer emphasis for school for everybody that's dealing with that parents, teachers, administrators, all students, of course, and all of that. And I, I just want to give you just a second to say you've got this, parents. You've got this, teachers. You've got this, administrators. You've got this. It's gonna it's gonna happen, and you're doing gonna gonna do a great job, and we appreciate your work. But keep up keep up with that prayer. Uh, you can go back and look through on Facebook or Instagram and see uh, those different things that we've prayed about and, and just keep that up through, through the year and make sure you reach out to someone and encourage them with that. The second thing that I just want to acknowledge is that football has begun. And so that, that is happening. All right. Yes, there's some clapping there. Um, and so it's, it's happening. Not sure for how long. We'll, we'll see. I don't Okay. Not as much laughter for, for that one, uh, but we'll, we'll enjoy it while, while it's here. Like Sarah mentioned, we're start, starting a brand new sermon series today called Sacred. And, and we're doing that because all of us have sacred things in our lives, sacred places, sacred things, sacred t- traditions. Uh, one of my most treasured possessions is my granddaddy's gold pocket watch. Um, I, he received that at his retirement from DuPont. And so it's one of the things that I treasure and that I keep safely hidden away. I'm not even sure. I have to ask my kids after this if they've even seen it and if I've even shown it to them. Because while it's precious to me, I don't really do anything with it. I kind of keep it safe. And, and I used to wind it some, but now I, you know, am afraid I'm going to break it. And I'm not going to wear it out because, you know, that would look a little pretentious, maybe. But I don't know. I, maybe I'll try it sometime. But I, I don't want it to get messed up. But it's one of the things that I treasure. But one of the things that I know is true about that watch is that at some point, it's not going to be treasured by somebody else for the same reasons. For me, it's nostalgic. It holds a lot of memories. Um, it represents some things that are very dearly important to me. But if the watch continues to be passed for generations and generations, and then you know some you know punk down the line decides to just sell it or pawn it off or that kind of thing, you know somebody's going to have it, and they're going to treasure it for a totally different reason. And that's just because of what it is as an object. And and that's the difference between things that are really truly sacred in our lives and things that we just kind of make sacred or, or they're important traditions to us, but they only have but so much lasting purpose and meaning for us. We, we all have that category in life where there are things that are really important to us, but maybe they're just stuff, they're just things. And, and if things don't go well with that thing, then we have this visceral gut reaction, it changes our mood, and then we have to kind of evaluate, well, maybe, you know, should it have mattered that much to us? The longer that list is for us, the less generally happy you're going to be, and, and side note, the less happy people around you are, are going to be, you know, because when we're tossed by those things, you know, by the wind and the waves of, of things not going well for us, um, then, then it affects how we interact with the life around us. The way that we prop things up will say a lot about what we're hoping and trusting in in our life. We even got a phrase for what we do when we make more out of things than we should. We call it a sacred cow. 
And, and I just want to define that for you. In case you don't know what the sacred cows are in your life, our sacred cows are what? And this is going to blow your mind. So just, just for a second, our sacred cows are what? We have a cow over. That, that's it. And I know you're blown away by that. And you're just, those of you that are at home, you're just like, mind blow. Blown. It's a, it's a, running, ja- a ga- running gag to joke about 2020, right? Oh, chalk it up to 2020. Things aren't, aren't going well. But that happens all the time in life. Uh, when things that don't go the way we want, it's, it's a good evaluation tool to make sure that we're prioritizing the right things in our life. There's so many directions that the world is pulling us in to make, you know, to make a priority in our life. Uh, it's a good idea for us to be self-aware, but we also need the reminder of not just what we have set apart as being sacred, but what God has set apart as sacred for us. Sacred is dedicated to or set apart for the service or worship of a deity, and we need to make sure that we aren't the deity. What we're dedicated to, what we set apart, reveals what we make sacred. What God dedicates, what God sets apart, reveals his holiness, and when God's holiness is sacred to us, the more we know who he is, the more we experience who he's called us and created us to be. And the bottom line for us as followers of Jesus is we know that really when it comes down to it, the only thing that's sacred is is God. He is the foundation for that. He is the one who defines that. His holiness, his sovereignty, uh, his completeness, his all-powerfulness, his all-presence, those are the things that define what becomes sacred in our lives. And so we're going to start with the most important thing that God sets apart as sacred for us this morning, and we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 32. Um, and, and just to kind of give you an idea of what's going on here, you guys have all seen the movie Ten Commandments, right? And so you've seen Charlton Heston, he went and rescued the Israelites, and then, well, Moses, you know, went and rescued the Israelites, and then the Ten Commandments thing, and the mountain, and the burning bush, and all those things happen, the golden calf. Well, that's all of what's happening here in, in this context and what we're talking about this morning. But there's a little bit more to the story. Because when you watch the Ten Commandments, it's kind of like, okay, Moses, he got the Israelites out, he went up in the mountain, came down, broke the tablets, had to go back up, and, and that's about it. You know, that's, that's what happened. But there's, there's a ton more that's going on. In fact, it spans the chapters of Exodus 19 and 32. Obviously, we're not going to cover all of that this morning, uh, but that is what the context is for where we are. So in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, On that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so really, as the Israelites are brought out of Egypt, they were in captivity and slavery for 400 years. And so when Moses brings them out, they've kind of been wandering the desert a little while, and they're getting to the point where they're not really sure why. And they're starting to question whether or not freedom is really better than slavery, which may sound strange, but that's where this people group was. And so this was really before many of the traditions that those of us have read through. We've been in church, and we've heard the stories from the Old Testament. We know the the laws and the regulations that the nation of Israel went through. This was really before all of that. 
And so God is setting down some clarity for the people of God, the promise that he had made all the way back to Abraham that they would become a great nation. Now they've done so, done so. And now God is about to let them know why and set the context for their relationship. And so God is following up on this covenant that he set with, with Abraham, and he's letting Moses be his voice and leader for what's to come. And so Moses goes back and summons the elders of the people, and this is Exodus chapter 19, verse 7, and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Sounds, sounds good. Seems legit. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, have them wash their clothes, and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Now, this may seem kind of, I don't know, strange of a setup. You know, this is not something that we kind of think of necessarily when we think about our relationship with God and we think about Christianity and what that looks like with Jesus. But really what God is doing is he's setting up a foreshadowing of what's to come. And so the, actually this looks a, a lot like how God establishes and sets up his, his sacred relationship with us. Because when God is telling the nation of Israel to set themselves apart, to consecrate themselves before this, this is a, you know, maybe seems like a brand new, unique thing for them, but actually they would have recognized that this sounds an awful lot like a wedding ceremony. In fact, what God is doing is he's saying, hey, we're about to enter into this covenant relationship where two parties come together, mutual agreement, and they say, we're going to take responsibility for our side of things, and we're going to come together in unity and be dedicated to one another, and this is what is, is to come. And so this is what God is doing. He's calling them his treasured possession, and he calls them into a sacred relationship. He also, interestingly enough, calls the location for that moment sacred as well. This is kind of an interesting aside, I think, that, uh, that God sets up. But I think, again, that it contextualizes the type of relationship that he's calling them into and why it's sacred. In Exodus 19, verse 12, God says, Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. And here's the point, because I know that to us sounds very severe. It's like, okay, all of a sudden now I, I can't even go on this mountain. What, what is the deal with that? And the deal is this, is that when God calls something sacred, it's sacred. It's holy. It's perfect. It's pure. It's for his eternal purpose. And so when he puts those things into place, he's letting us know, hey, this is not just, hey, a suggested way of approaching life. And, and maybe if you do this, things will be good for you. You know, you'll get a promotion. Uh, you know, you'll get more money. You know, those things, you'll, you'll be happier. And, and that's the context here. No, it's like, this is the way that life is meant to be lived. And there are no other alternatives. This, this is sacred. Don't mess with this because ultimately when we mess up, and those of us who are Christians we know because we've sought after Jesus to take care of this for us, sin leads to death. And so, so God sets this. He makes this declaration of what is sacred and, and what it means ultimately for our lives when he sets that up for us. 
And so Moses, uh, you know, goes up and down the mountain after this happens and after this, this consecration, this covenant has been established. Moses is actually going up in the mountains for 40 days, 40 nights. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of steps on the Fitbit, and, and he's, he's getting them in because there's, it's not just him going up, getting the Ten Commandments coming down. I mean, he's up, up and down quite a bit during, during this time. And so all the time, while Moses is learning from God how he is supposed to lead and how he's supposed to guide the Israelites, what this relationship is going to look like, the practical aspect of it, the bride is the nation of Israel is waiting at the foot of the mountain. It's not unlike a typical wedding ceremony. You know, the, maybe not for us, but the groom would go prepare, sometimes would go build a house. You know, there'd be a long period of time before the wedding actually took place. Uh, but they're getting a little restless. So fast forward to after the ceremony, Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long, because again, it's 40 days and 40 nights of God establishing the relationship when the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So it took, count with me, about 40 days for them to go from, Yes, we're going to do everything the Lord has commanded us to because he brought us out of slavery. He's, uh, he's fed us. He's taken care of us during all this time. We're good. Like We're going to follow him, and, and it's going to be great. It took about 40 days for them to say, ah, nah, just kidding. And so Aaron answers them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Uh, later on, when Moses comes down, Aaron will describe the events that happen like this. He'll say, ah, they gave me this gold, and I threw it in the fire, and this calf came out. I, I just, I don't even know how this happened, you know, and how, how typical is that for us? When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. And so the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. As you can imagine, God wasn't too pleased about all of this. He, he was angry, and Moses ended up pleading, you know, with God to spare the lives of his people. And God does, and he gives this group a choice for those who are going to follow him and those who are not, and he establishes that. Uh, Moses is able to appeal to God's mercy, which God had always planned to give in that moment. Uh, but even when Moses gets to the bottom, he's raging. He smashes the Ten Commandments when he gets down there, and he takes the golden calf. And this might be one of the best parts of the story. In verse 20, he takes the calf the people had made, burned it in the fire, then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Isn't that, man, I, I don't know. I just like, I like that part. I think it's funny. This is... This is Old Testament history for the, for the Israelite people, for the nation of Israel, yes, but it was also a foreshadowing, like I mentioned before, for what has been eternally true even from the beginning of creation. And that is God sets apart people, us, humanity, the reason he created us, for sacred relationship. I mean, that is the foundation other than himself that he starts with. That is the building block, is that he sets us apart for sacred relationship. 
And sure, God's covenant relationship with Israel got off to a bumpy start. I mean, can you imagine starting a marriage this way? You know, you, you show up to the wedding time, you know, you show up to your 2, 2 p.m. afternoon wedding and you hear something outside of the building and it's a bunch of people partying and drinking and like they're having a great time. You're like, wait a second, I, nobody told me about this. And you go in and there's your spouse and they're just having a great time, totally without you. You know, who of us would go, yeah, this is fine. I'll go through with it. It's, it's all good. I'm sure they didn't do it on purpose. None of us would. And yet God does. And not only does God go through with it, but he ensures that the covenant, the agreement from two parties, you know, that are going to hold up their end of the bargain, he knows that we can't, and he still ensures that through Jesus. Check out Ephesians chapter 5. And yes, this is written to husbands, but listen to Paul's example uh, that he writes. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I mean, the church is described as the bride of Christ just as Israel is, is invited into this covenant relationship with God way back in the Old Testament. And, and all through that, even through the bumpy relationship that, that, that is caused simply by being human beings and our nature and how we mess things up, what, what comes out of that relationship is Jesus, who, who then invites everyone into that covenant relationship with God. It's Jesus who's gone to prepare a place for us, and here we are, his sacred people, the people of faith, that are, that are waiting in the meantime. Because this is what Jesus has said. He said he's gone to prepare a place. And so what do we do with our time? What, what are we doing as, as we wait? You know, what do the Israelites do? Like, ah, this 40 days, this is taking way too long. I, I'm, I'm going to take this into my own hands. And that always works out well in our lives. You ever get impatient with God? Maybe just impatient in, in general, because that's impatience with God, too. Ultimately, when things aren't going the way that we want them to, the way that reacts is a lot about how we view God's involvement. A few weeks ago, I was in a store and had the same experience that I've had, I don't know, it seems like once a month. I, I feel like maybe it's an intentional thing at this point. Um, but, you know, things were taking way too long, and so the person behind the counter was apologetic and saying, I, I just, I always pick the wrong line. Anybody else with me? You, you ever, just always, I always pick the wrong line. You know, the other line's shorter, I'm like, oh, I'm really smarter, I won't have to wait as long, I'll go to that one. Immediately, you know, something's wrong, register shuts down, and I should have stayed in, in the other one. Any traffic, anything like that. And so I'm standing there, and I say, you know what? And like I said, this happens all the time to me, so I think it's a thing, like, I think it's God's sense of humor. Like, this is just one of the things that, that he, he enjoys for, for me. Uh, but, but I said, you know what? It's, it's totally fine. I understand things happen. It's, you know, and, and, it, and it's good. You're fine. And inevitably, nearly every single time this happens, when I have the presence of mind to respond properly to it like that, the person says, oh, man, I appreciate it. Thank you because I've had such a long day, because I've had so many customers who have not had to deal with this, and they've been so impatient, and it's been awful. I wish more customers were like you. And I'm not saying that because I'm something special, or I'm just saying, like, just that little gesture of saying, hey, I understand sometimes things don't go well, um, and, and it's okay, like, you don't have to worry about me. 
And, and I'll let them know. I said, hey, maybe this will be a good break for you before you have to deal with the next jerk. Um, you know, and they're, they're grateful for it. When, when, we, when we lose sight of what matters, you know, we're going to have a cow over our sacred cows. And, and the point of life is not about how quickly we get our stuff. It's going to take away when we react this way, when we, don't, when, when we don't wait, when we're not patient, we're not thinking about the relationship that God calls us to have with him and with other people. We're going to miss the opportunity to understand the significance of the moment that we're presented with because that's a moment for us to show Jesus to that other person. Life isn't about stuff. It's not about events. It's not about pandemics. It's not about elections. It's not about football. It's not about at school. It's not about any of those things. It's about people. It's about our relationship with God, and it's about the type of relationships we form with God and people. I make the decision ahead of time about whether or not stuff and things and events and circumstances are, are going to get to me and whether or not I'm going to have a cow over them. And, and I'm not perfect in my reactions with that, but it's an opportunity for me to see what I've put all my trust and hope into. It's the person across from, uh, from us, you know, the, the, the nation waiting at the foot of the mountain. They're hoping for someone who will care about the fact that they're made in the image of God and willing to give grace. Because that's what we all need, and that's what we all want. That's what our relationship with God is about. That's what our relationships with other people are supposed to be about. When God calls something sacred, he gives it eternal purpose. There's nothing, you know, it's not going to be passed down generation to generation Then somebody's going to lose sight of that object unless they ignore what God has set up as being sacred to begin with. First, our relationship with him is sacred. And second, our relationship with others. If you're part of the church, if you're a Christian, you have been given eternal purpose in your relationships. And so what God calls sacred, let us not exchange that for an idol for a sacred cow, because eventually it will simply just leave us with a bitter taste in our mouths. And so I, I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, as things happen in your life, whether it's the small stuff like, you know, having to wait too long behind a counter, or maybe it's the big stuff where there's a global, you know, thing happening that everybody's paying attention to, whatever it might be, everywhere in between, that there's a sacred relationship that God calls us into that defines how we approach those things and how we interact with and deal with each other in the midst of that. And how we do that determines whether or not we are sharing Jesus with other people or sharing a sacred cow or a golden calf. And for those of us that may, maybe you're like, okay, I'm, I, like I've seen that happen. I can, I can observe that. I've seen how people treat each other, and I've seen how broken that, that, that is. What does it look like to exchange those types of relationships for the sacred one that God calls us to? Well, it's just like how God sets that up in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. He sets up the same thing for us through Jesus. And that is simply saying yes to the relationship that Jesus calls us into. And it simply says yes to being washed and consecrated before him and covenant before Jesus. And, and it's yes to waiting actively with the purpose that God gives us um, as, we follow, as we follow him. So as we prepare to take communion together, like we do every week at Velocity, 
This, this meal that we take, it's part of that covenant relationship, wedding celebration reminder of what Jesus does, does for us. That yes, that this represents Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, um, you know, but it also represents the looking forward to the, the wedding feast that we are called into, invited to, get, to share with him as followers of Jesus uh, in the life to come as well. Let me pray for us as we uh, prepare to take communion together. God, we thank you for giving us the perspective that we need for how to approach life. God, relationships are such an integral part of, of who we are. Even if we aren't bought into the whole idea of, of the relationship that you call us into, relationships, they, they define how we move through life. And God, give us the, give us the recognition of how the Holy Spirit is guiding us into making sure those, those relationships are more important than, than the stuff around us. Uh, that the way that we handle them are, are opportunities for us to grow in our faith, for other people to grow in their faith as well. That we wouldn't lose sight of who you are um, in the midst of, of, of waiting and looking forward to you, that, that we don't get distracted by everything else that's going around in our lives. God, we praise you for, for who Jesus is and um, the relationship that he enables us to have with you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.